This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. G'day guys, welcome to Awesome Humans. I'm your host, Brett McCallum, and we're here to bring you the biggest, brightest humans we can off this amazing planet of ours. Our awesome human today for today's podcast is Kian Lagi, a former NFL athlete who is now an emotional intelligence coach for many world-class leaders. After receiving a football injury that almost led to paralyzation, Kian found himself at a loss of what to do without his passion in his life. After receiving incredible coaching, he felt inspired to help others do the same and now has personally helped over 300 people live a life of greatness they're always capable of. Kean's not an ordinary emotional intelligent coach. He works with individuals who want to keep pushing and achieving, someone who is passionate and driven to succeed. They just need some extra assistance along the way. Kean has worked with truly extraordinary people such as world-class fitness models, professional athletes, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, and C-listers. This is just a testament to how truly awesome this guy is. Wow, what an introduction. G'day, buddy. How are you? I'm doing incredible, man. I'm absolutely incredible. You're my first person on my podcast I spoke to in Rio de Janeiro. That's very exciting. I'm, I'm happy to, to represent. They, they call us uh, they, they call us cariocas out here. If you're you're from, uh, I've lived in Rio de Janeiro for a while, so they they call the people here cariocas. So I'm an aspiring carioca, and I'm excited to represent for uh, the country of Brazil today. There you go. And that accent doesn't sound like you're from Brazil. So where are you from? <laughs> I'm from uh, the opposite. I'm from South Dakota in the United States. So very different cultures. Yeah. What what? Uh, how long you been in Brazil? I've been in Brazil for three months. My, my time in Brazil started with a one-month sabbatical that I was planning on doing with no work, no client communication, no social media, no uh, talking to anybody from back home and being solely on my own here in Brazil for one month at the end of last year. And uh, that short-term stay of sabbatical uh, turned into me falling in love with this place. So I decided to stay for an uh, extended period. So I'm, I'm temporarily, permanently here now. Excellent. And a, is it a karaoke? Is that what you just called yourself? Yeah, karaoke. Yeah, but if you're from Rio, you're, you're considered a karaoke. Oh, wow. So, there you go. So you're, you're on your way to become a karaoke. There it is. <laughs> but the way I like to uh, start my podcast is to have a chat to you about your early days and where it all started. And the first question I always ask people is, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? Well, that's an incredible question. I've ever been asked that on a podcast before. My first memory. Mm. That stumped you, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I God, I remember I remember I was I was probably in like fourth grade. This is the first one that comes to me. Uh after my first day of football practice, I was I came home and I was all beat up and uh to give a little context on, on me before that, I was a very soft kid. I wasn't the, the boy that was running around trying to fight all the other kids. I was very soft, wanted to make sure everybody was okay, wanted to make sure I wasn't hurting other people, wanted to make sure that people were, were taken care of and following the rules. 
And when my mom signed me up for football, after my first day of practice, I came home and I remember talking to her and saying, mom, I can hit people and not get in trouble for it. And, uh, that was, I was so invigorating and so fun <laughs> and, uh, so awesome for me to be able to step outside of who I thought I was during that period of time, which was somebody that was over considering everybody else. So, uh, yeah, that, that story comes to me. So it's like an alter ego. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, it was my way of, of self-expression in ways that I couldn't express myself off the field. So football for me was an incredible outlet that I happened to have a little bit of talent with too. So, uh, yeah, it, it definitely was my alter ego for sure. <laughs> so where were you born? Uh, in South Dakota. Okay. And you grew up there? Yep. Born and raised. I, I say we got a lot of cows and we have a lot of corn. Uh, that's the, the foundation of, of South Dakota. So, <laughs> and a lot of incredible people I want to add to, uh, but very, very, uh, small town living. I was from a city in South Dakota, which really isn't saying a whole lot. Uh, but people are very kind. People work their butts off for what they have. Very humble, very modest. Uh, and so I think that was a great way for me to grow up was having that background and then leaving that space and going to the opposite. Uh, was also extremely beneficial for me as well. So as a kid, what, what was your first school you went to? What was that called? My first school was called Harvey Dunn. It was my uh, elementary school. Harvey Dunn Elementary. And and were you a good kid, a bad kid? Were you like a nerd? Were you a jock? Yeah, I was a, a really nice jock. So I was a, I was a freak athlete. <laughs> I, I was I was a real, I, but but I always wanted to make sure that everybody was okay and taken care of. So there's kind of the, the dick jocks, but then I was like the really really uh, nice jock that was friends with everybody. Yeah. So yeah yeah. And you were very athletic. Yeah yeah definitely. I come from my my grandpa had a short stint in the NFL, so I got some athleticism in my family. Uh, but also at the same time, I was really uh, sensitive. I've always been a really sensitive. I was always a sensitive kid. After every single year of elementary school, after uh, the year would end, I'd come home and, and cry to my mom and tell her how much I'm going to miss my teacher and miss all my friends uh, during my school experience. So uh, very athletic, uh, could be very aggressive when when I when it was channeled into an organized yeah. sport, but also very very uh, emotional for sure. And and mom and dad, what what did they do? Mom was a stay at home mom, so mom was always around doing crafts and and. Uh, showing, showing us kids how, how to do things around the house and playing with us. So that was great. And then my dad was an entrepreneur. He bounced around for a few different jobs and now he owns his own mortgage company. So he's kind of paved the way for uh, a lot of my uh, understanding that entrepreneurship is possible for me. And uh, he, it's really cool to, to have him to be somebody that I can, I can look to, to uh, for some inspiration. That's pretty cool. And so you go from elementary school. What's the next level you go to in the U.S.? Middle school. So, yep, go, go to middle school. And is that the same school or do you actually move schools? Move schools. So it was a middle school called Patrick Henry. And my time there, I wasn't always the big – I was naturally very skinny. Uh, but I, like I said, I could just run people over like it was nothing. So I remember uh, in middle school for football, uh, I was the – if anybody knows the sport of football – I was the guy in the middle on defense, the middle linebacker, and I was I was about 100 and, and uh, like 20 pounds. Yep. Two guys outside of me were like 160, uh, 165, 170. So I was just this beast in the middle that was just a cannon that would just throw my body around at people. Uh, and you know, 
people, uh, people respected it. And I, and I also, it was interesting because, uh, I played football, not for the school, uh, not only for the school, but also for a city team too. So I'm sure there, there's some soccer guys in Australia that, that, that absolutely love the sport and played all the time. But I would go from one practice to another, yeah. uh, in middle school. So I play in my school team. I go to my city team right after for practice. So, yeah. So you always sort of, as an athlete, you always, uh, sort of had the skills and, and the mental aptitude. Where's that come from? Oof. From mom, uh, dad, granddad. Yeah. I, I would say a, a combination. So much of, I was also a first child. So uh-huh. uh, out of four kids. So I've, I, I think I've naturally been the one that's gone and kind of done my own thing and been really self-sufficient. Uh, but my parents also never limited me. They, they really gave me the space permission to, uh, try a lot of things and, uh, expose me to different things. And football happened to be the thing that I was super passionate about. So I'm really thankful that my parents, they were always very open and receptive and, uh, encouraged me to always just pursue whatever I wanted. And that space that they gave me to do that along with my athletic ability, uh, really, I think, allowed me to, to get to where I got to with playing professional football. And so when you were at school, like middle school and elementary school, what did you want to be? Did you want to be a fireman? Did you want to be a footballer? What was, what was, the, uh, what was the mission? Yeah, since I can remember, it was to go to the, go to the NFL. Yeah, it was, my, yeah? My teacher, yeah my, my teacher reached out when I finally made it, talked to my mom, my third grade teacher. And third grade is like right around like, like 10, year, 10 years old. Yeah. And the picture that I, that I drew for what I was going to be when I grew up was a picture of me playing professional football. And she said, oh, she, wow. remembered la- she remembered laughing uh, when she saw it, but then, you know, however who's laughing later, now, hey? <laughs> yeah, who's laughing now, baby? Come on, let's go. <laughs> exactly. So, so during, during all this time, are you still doing schoolwork? Like, are you, uh, are you keeping up with your grades and stuff or are you just playing football? Are you just thinking, no, that's me. That's what I'm doing. You know, I, I never wanted to be the guy that, didn't have a, you know, a backup plan. that was like, Oh no, I'm just going to go to the NFL. Uh, so I had a, a backup plan, which would be a financial analyst. So that's what I thought sounded the best. You know, I can make money. It was kind of in the field of what my dad was doing. And uh, that was my backup plan per se. And that's what I told people in case it didn't work out. Uh, honestly, I, I had that just probably. So I didn't sound crazy. I believed in myself, <laughs> but maybe I like, I didn't want other people to think a certain way about me potentially. Uh, but it, I mean, in my mind, I, it was, it was the inevitable, you know, I, I was, I was going and I remember my, when I went back home to South Dakota a couple months ago, my little brother at the time, him and I were driving when I was in high school and he remembers asking me, he told me this when I was back home a couple months ago, he, he remembers asking me, he said, Ken, are you really going to go to the NFL? And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> of course I am, but yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Right. It was just, it was just, yeah, I guess I don't remember us having that conversation, but, uh, yeah, it, it was something that was planted inside of me. And, and, you know, I think I have this, this unique ability to be able to have this focus and then to just go after it and get it. So well, anyone can do what they want to do as long as they try hard enough. That's my philosophy in life. If you want to actually go after and do something, you have the world's noise, you can go and do whatever you like. 
Yeah, I guess what it comes down to, though, is is really understanding, identifying what is something that we want to do compared to what is it that we're doing to try to gain approval or acceptance Indeed. from somebody else, right? So that's the million-dollar question, right, is, is diving into that a little more. Um, is this for me or is this for a part of me that's looking for some validation or approval? That's the hardest part. Indeed, mate, indeed. So you've got three siblings, boys, girls. What do you got? I got two brothers and a sister. So one brother who's a year and a half younger, then I got a sister who's about uh, five years younger, then yet another brother who's about eight years younger, nine years younger. And what do they? Uh, what do they all do? Uh, my brother, just underneath me, he works for my dad yep. at the mortgage company, and then my sister, she's going to college right now, and my younger brother, he's just a beast all around, man. He's so smart. He, he's playing football too, but. Uh, he can do anything that he wants to do. He actually might. Uh, he talks about doing something similar to me that I'm doing now. So that's that's kind of cool that he's taking interest in that. But uh, yeah, there we've all kind of done our own thing. We're all very, very, very different too. It's interesting how that works in the context of families. Indeed, man. Well, that's the whole joy of having a family, isn't it? I've got four kids myself and all of them are completely different. And I love the fact that they are because they can be themselves. Yeah, for sure. It's all—it's so interesting. How we all have just such unique perspectives and, and interpretations of our upbringings. You know, that's what normally shapes that. Indeed. So did you go to college? I did. Yep. I, I college? played college football. University of South Dakota. Didn't uh, hey, I didn't leave home. Hey? Yeah, yeah. I had I had got a scholarship, so I got my school paid for. So uh, I chose to go there and stay there. And was that a football scholarship? Yep. Yeah. It was my first semester was football and a little bit of school, but then after my first year, I ended up starting uh, my first year. So I got bumped up to, to a full ride. Mm -hmm. And then, so was that four years in the U S yes, four years. And then did you go in the draft? Yes. Yeah. How was that? Talk, was. Tell me, tell me through how that decision gets made. Like obviously that's the mission. That's the goal where you want to be. And then, you come out of college and think I'm going to go in this draft. And for people that don't know what the draft is, this is where there's how many kids go in the draft or how many people go in the draft? I mean, it's, it's an incredible amount. I mean, it's all college seniors, right. That, that want to keep so playing thousands football, of so. people potentially, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, tons. Yeah. Tons yeah. of people. And then, and then you go through this experience and can you tell me, talk, talk me through that. How's that work? Oh man. Well, well first it's, it's a, it's a business. It's all a business. It's all a business. Like professional sports is a business. It's not one big happy family or where teams are together and they're just all super close and, and everything's amazing and great. Like it's a business at the end of the day. And that's where it's like one minute you could have a job and the next minute you're gone and cut. So the kind of pressure and stress, you know, competing, I would say at any level, at yeah. a very, very high level in anything is going to be pretty cutthroat, but you know, the pressure to have to maintain uh, shape, the pressure to have to perform when, when the spotlight's on. Uh, I mean, if you mess up a couple times, you're out, you're cut, you're done, right? So the margin for error is, is so small in that context. And so there's so many minute details that go into uh, being able to get there and then be able to hold and maintain your place in the NFL. A lot of guys, they jump around every single year to different, different yeah, states and different teams. Right. Uh, so it's, it's incredible how, you know, on the outside looking in, it's just more of like family structure that people that they probably want 
people to think professional <laughs> sports is, right? But in reality, it's it's all business, and people are trying to, to keep their jobs and doing what they can to, like anything, put food on the table and keep doing it as long as possible. So what number did you get drafted? I didn't get drafted. I, I signed an undrafted free agent contract, so there's uh-huh. the draft, seven yep. rounds, and then got picked up after. And who did you get picked up by? Uh, Kansas City, so the Chiefs. Not a bad team. Yeah, not a bad team. No, <laughs> they got right now. <laughs> yeah, they're doing all right, right? So it's uh, it's been cool to see some of the guys that I came in with doing so well, and um, yeah. And so you come in as a an undrafted free agent. You get you get a spot. You sort of rock up to uh, headquarters that first day. That's just got to be the ultimate feeling, doesn't it? It's like mission accomplished. Uh, yes, yeah, sort of. That's like the feeling for the first like Hour. few hours after <laughs> a few hours after getting told, but then after that, right, it's, it's all business. You show yeah. up, I show up to the facility and now it's, you got to fight for your job. And so there, there is a lot of politics in the NFL too. Uh, not to say that there's, you know, there's some dudes that, that make it all the way through, but uh, I wasn't from a big school. I was mm-hmm. from the South university of South Dakota. So wasn't showing a whole lot of love, but I balled out and did really well. And, uh, ended up doing well enough to get a call back and to get signed by the team. So when you signed, uh, does that mean you're part of the 53 man squad, 50 man squad? Yeah. So my, my situation was when I went to get signed, I ended up finding that there was a, I, on my, on my physical that I took to, to get approved to play, I found the doctors found that there was a, a gap in my, between my C6 and C7 and my cervical door, if I would have played, I was at a risk factor of 3.5 out of 4 to get paralyzed. So that was oh, it. Jesus. Yeah, I was done before I could ever actually play a game. Uh, it was done and over because of that. So that was, I mean, that was a whole different element of it with the excitement and then the crash within 24 hours. So what? So explain that to me. So you played football all your life with this potential of being paralyzed and, and it never was injured, but then they find this 3.5 out of four of, of happening. And then you, they pull the pin. Yeah. So I, in my, my senior year of college, I did have some neck injuries. So almost every single game I would get, I don't know if anybody knows what a stinger is, but where I get hit a certain way, my neck snaps a certain yeah. way when I hit somebody and then I get tingles and numbness down my neck and into my arms and into my, into my legs. So I would get that almost every game where I'd run off to the sidelines. I'd have to grab the trainer's hand and squeeze their hand yeah. until I would get, I would get feeling back in my arms and then I'd go back in. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was a, a savage man. I, I didn't miss a single, <laughs> I didn't miss a, I didn't miss a single game. All of, all of college. I started almost all the games except my first six of my first year. So yeah, I was pretty resistant to pain. One may say. <laughs> yeah. And then, so you get to the NFL, you've signed your contract, you go in and they say, sorry, mate, you never playing. How's that? How's that make uh, you feel? Man, it was, I got crushed, crushed. I was so shocked. You know, I was so, it was just within 24 hours, I got told I was going to play and then got told I'd never be able to play again. So it was a lot. I was shocked. I cried my eyes out. A lot of confusion, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger. Um, Who'd you ring? Story. Who'd you ring? Uh, the first one I called my dad. Yeah, yeah. And sure. did you think oh, he'd be disappointed in you? Did you think he'd be like, "Oh, that's all right, but like, come and be a financial person"? Or what? What were you expecting that phone call? Just support. Yeah. He's always been just such a great support. 
Um, he, like I said, my family never really pushed me that hard. It was always me that pushed myself and they were always just there as a, a backdrop and support system. I mean, I would get like 30 to 40 family members or friends at almost all my college games. Yeah. Right? Like, like that's the kind of support I, I had, which was in, like unbelievably amazing for me and, uh, my confidence, you know? So having that call with him, I mean, he, he was in tears too. Cause he knows how much energy and love and time that I put into it and mm. see it just kind of end like that. Uh, we both kind of just cried together and, uh, he was there with me on, on that call and it meant the world to me. And then what was your next step? You, you then get told by the doctor and you lock, grab your bags and you're out. Yeah. So I ended up staying overnight in Kansas city and I was flying out the next day. Uh, but I went, after I talked to my dad, I went and got a bite to eat at a restaurant and, I talk about this sometimes that there was a little relief that came from that. It was like a little bit of the pressure that I used to put on myself was just gone. There was no expectation of having to do anything. So I just ate a burger and fries and whatever I wanted. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was incredible just to, to feel that relief for a little bit. And obviously I was still hurt, but there was that underlying, Oh, I can breathe. Yeah, definitely. So, so it was like, I got there, I made it. And now I'm not going to get beaten up, so that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know it's probably it's probably definitely for the best. You know, I even yeah. like still at times still like get if I move it a certain way or if I'm out surfing on a wave and I fall on the ocean, like I'll I'll feel it a little bit down my neck. So it's probably a good thing that I uh, never got to play because even if I didn't do that physical and I would have played, I probably would have eventually ended up being done anyway after that first year. Yeah. So. And so you have your burger and chips in Kansas city and then you jump back on a plane back to South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. The next day. Yep. Flew out back the next day to, to South Dakota. And then you, then it must go through your head. Well, what's next? What do I do now? I, I, I the backup plan was there, but I didn't really think I was going to use it. Yeah, definitely. No, that exactly. And I would say I was like very like numb. I was numb for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know because for however many years for 10, 11 years, my focus was on getting to this place and that's yeah. no longer relevant. So that's why I can describe it. It was like, you know, my, my whole mind and my, my body is like a pie and I just got three quarters of the pie taken out. So I'm not even sure what this portion of the pie that I took out represents anymore. Or there's just this empty space. That I'm like, okay, what, what do I fill this in with? Like what, what even goes here? You know? Yeah. And so that was really confusing. It was kind of numb for a little while. And, uh, then I just got this little excitement to, to go to the library and just to start to read, uh, realizing I wanted nothing to do with my college major, <laughs> which was financial side of things. Yeah. 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 Finance. So during this whole time, are you a single man? How, how's the romance looking during those 11 years? Yeah, I had, I had one girlfriend at the end of high school and we were together for the first year of college. And, um, I, I I'm just, I'm like a, a butterfly at, during that time. And I'm like, I want to go, I just want to meet people. And, and I'm, I'm starting as a, as a, as a true freshman at division one football team and everybody like, there's all these parties and this, the, you know, ah, 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 right. And so I, I wanted to, to be single after that and experience kind of that life. And, uh, then for the next six years, I didn't have any girlfriends. I mean, I dated and then met girls, but I didn't have any girlfriends. And then I moved to Colombia a couple of years after that. 
after uh, after I got back and lived in Miami for a little while, then I ended up getting a girlfriend uh, from Colombia. From Colombia. And are you still together now? No, no, we broke up a few months ago. Oh. So we broke up a few months ago. Yeah, uh, this season, this season, it's 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 good for us. It's really good for us. Yeah. And so we're both just just doing our own thing, and uh, she's an incredible person, and uh, it was just right for us to be in uh, separate places right now. Fair so, Sometimes it's the best call. Definitely, yeah, it, it, for sure. But that's the you know, it's it's it can be very difficult, you know, to make that decision that is best for us at the time, and definitely something that. Um, I feel like I, a decision I had to make. So you go back and you're reading now and you're sort of starting to learn more and you're not going to do anything in regards to your major. Where, where, What's next? What happens next? What's the sort of big light bulb moment that changes your life? Yeah, so I, I, this book, this book called The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. It's one of the most uh, important books I feel like I've ever read. It was referred to by one of my mentors, I would say, at the time who really taught me a lot about food and eating and, and how to physically put my body in a place where I could get to the NFL. So he referred this book to me and it's, it basically, it talks about, you know, the, the quote people always talk about, you know, your thoughts control your future, right? Manifestation and, and how you think you will, you will become and those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, this book explains the science, science behind all that and how all that works. And so I'm like, holy shit. I, I, like, this is actually science. Like, this isn't just something that people talk about. Like there's a science to how, our thinking process works and, and how our, our external environment and world change based off our perception of our environment and of ourselves. And that right there, that book was like mind blowing. And I'm like, well, I'd like to be in a position where I could talk about this and where I could uh, teach people this and how, and, and learn what exactly and he, he, Bruce Lipton talks about this, this thing called heaven on earth. Uh, how can I live my heaven on earth to, to the highest capacity? And so being a personal trainer was the closest thing that I knew to that type of industry. So back home, I, I reached out to a friend who'd offered me a job a couple months prior to that. And uh, I got that job and just jumped into personal training. And so you seem to be more of a, a personal trainer that's sort of whole mind, body, spirit, as opposed to just someone that's making me do push-ups in the, uh, in the local park. It's, uh, it seems to me like you've got sort of the whole headpiece is, is a big part of that. Is that right? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, at the time, I was still very new to all of that. I'd mastered a lot of mainstream personal development things. I'd mastered how to work hard, how to commit to what I wanted, how to uh, be consistent with routine and all that kind of stuff. So I already got that. I could show people how to do that. Uh, but real, what really intrigued me was the internal side of health. So uh, digestive health, gut health, and what it looked like to be healthy from the inside out. And so that was the next thing I really dove into was creating a program for myself. I ended up losing about 30 pounds and uh, fixing a lot of my digestive issues that I had and my, my fluctuations of energy and, and shady sleep. Uh, and that's when I moved to Miami and, and I came up with a program called the Total Body Reset for people with different autoimmune conditions and digestive disorders. So I became the kind of go-to person for autoimmune health and digestive health in Miami. Uh, and that's when I was able to get to a point where I scaled that to a, a healthy enough place where I quit my job entirely as a personal trainer and just solely did that. And what, so what did you call yourself at that stage? What is it the gut health bloke or did you then go on a speaking tour? What, how did you sort of build that? No, I, I hired a coach to teach me how to go online with it. 
Yeah. And I got a bunch of clients online through it. And, uh, yeah, I guess I would say I was just the, the, uh, health coach. And then, then you became the guru, right? <laughs> sort of, it, it was more for me what it's more of, it's, it's been, uh, that, that was my next transition. Then I noticed a lot of the people that I was working with, they were experiencing much deeper issues than just their physical body, yeah. uh, you know, mis- misbehaving more from the mental, emotional standpoint of disconnections they have with themselves. So I'm like, Hey, this is an opportunity for me to start to dive into this stuff a little more. And it, I went from just the, the health guy to the mental, emotional guy that was doing both with a lot of my clients. So that gave me an in to be able to dive deeper into the mental, emotional space, which is a space that I was super, super passionate about. And, uh, through that, I ended up getting to a point where I didn't want to do the, the gut health and health stuff anymore. I wanted to just fo- focus on mental, emotional health. So then I, I made that transition fully into the mental, emotional space. Isn't it funny how life goes full circle? And you mentioned earlier at the start of the podcast about how you, you were such an emotional kid and that you actually felt emotions and, and you weren't sort of ashamed to, to show them and those sort of things. And now that's what you do for a living. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it fits, man. It's perfect. And, you know, the great part about it, too, is I have such a, uh, a unique background that I'm a guy talking about how important it is to be able to be in line with our emotions. And, you know, I played the gladiator sport in America that many people would perceive as the most barbaric sport there is. <laughs> right. So so my it's, it's great for me and my background to be able to work with a lot of these uh, more powerful, influential people that aren't really on board with a lot of the mainstream foo-foo spirituality, uh, emo, get into our emotions type of crowd, right? For me, like, this isn't that. This isn't like just like some spirituality type of stuff. Like, this is the thing that has to be mastered for us to continue to move on uh, with achieving more in our lives, but also be able to feel the levels of achievement that we are experiencing. So this is something that can't be bypassed. And uh, I think people, when they meet me, they, they realize that, okay, I have to go deeper into my emotions if I want to continue to achieve and accomplish the things that I want to accomplish for myself and feel good about it. So you've got, I mentioned that in the introduction, you've got world-class fitness models, professional athletes, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. How do you get all these clients? What's, what's your sort of go-to-market strategy with this? Yeah, that's an incredible question. And so my, my, uh, my go-to is word of mouth. Yep. My, I, I really wanted to build a business that was word of mouth based and I just go out and I, and you know, as I'm, I'm a lot more of a, uh, solid solitude type of animal right now in this season of life where I'm not really interacting with a ton of people. Uh, but during the time of building my business, man, I was a social butterfly. I was meeting people all the time. And as people got to know me and learned about what I did, they wanted to work with me and started telling other people about me. So a lot of my, my close friends that I'm working with me, man, they, cause they see it. They're like, Holy shit, dude, like what you've done and what you're able to do. And, uh, for other people, it, it's incredible. So, uh, my, my go-to for marketing was just be like really operating from a place of inspiration. I don't have any set marketing techniques when I want to reach out to somebody or talk to somebody that I feel inspired to reach out to or talk to a lot of the times ends up being a potential client too. So we can talk more about that. So now you're obviously on, um, I'm going to call it sabbatical in Rio de Janeiro. So you're on your own. You're, you're not seeing people. The irony behind that with the fact that you're a, a, an emotional coach, do you think everyone should do that? Do you think everyone should have time question. out? 
You know, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think yeah. it's, I personally think it's good for people to actually have a bit of time out and that sort of stuff. But three months now, how's that going? Yeah. It, well, to answer your first question, yeah. yes, I do know a lot of people. They don't have the capacity to go leave and go to Rio for three months. So really, if, if people can just create some space for themselves in some way, I don't think it's this is a very foreign concept. But even just like getting away for one day on the weekend or something, it's it's so important for us to get in our own space and in our own uh, energy. Uh, but I'm actually – so my best friend moved out here too. So we're living together right now. I'm actually um, getting my own place next week. So we live together here for two months right after my sabbatical. And um, so, yeah, then I'll go and uh, get my own spot after I move out next week. And, and what's the plan? Are you going to stay there long term? The plan is to be here until the end of May. So I'll be here until the end of May. I'll come back to the States for uh, for June. And then I'm not sure after that. I might come back. I don't – right now it doesn't feel like I'll come back, but mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. Whatever uh, whatever I feel inspired to do at that point, I'll do. And so what are you doing now for a living? Are you are – you, um, so got your client base. Um, what, what are you doing these days? Yeah, full-time coach. So full-time. that's what I do. Yep, yep. It's uh, it's awesome. It allows me to live wherever, be wherever, and uh, do what I love. So I would say I'm definitely living the life. It's it's incredible to be able to do this. It hasn't came uh, without a lot of struggle at of times, course. but it's um, it's been incredible to be able to to see uh, a vision that I've had for myself be able to start to to become reality. So it's incredible. So if someone meets you for the first time and they say, "What do you do?" What do you do? Yeah, I'm the genie. You're the genie. The genie in the bottle. <laughs> yeah, there it I is. I love it. I love and it. And then, then they would say, well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, have you seen uh, have you seen Aladdin? You know, and they get the uh, the lamp and they rub the lamp and the genie comes out, right? Okay, yeah. I'm like, well, what do you want? What are your wishes? <laughs> and I make it happen. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That, that's pretty awesome. One thing I love to ask people on my podcast is, what's the best ever Kian Lage story? What's the what's your go to story? Man, I like I love I love telling just so many different elements of my story because I'm such a I have so many dimensions to myself. Yeah. So many dimensions. So so people hear me, they'll they'll listen to me talk, and their brains will compartmentalize what they believe that I am and they think about me. But then really. Although here another story be like, what? What's his deal? Because uh, I don't find really a lot of definition in my identity. I, I've tried so many different things and like to bounce around and experience different things and put myself in odd situations that challenge myself. So I'd say one of the funniest things that I've done is when I moved to Miami, I was a stripper for two months. <laughs> How'd that go? Hilarious. It was hilarious. <laughs> like met some really funny dudes that, that it, it was, it was a, a, a venue where it was two and a half hours, just put on a quick show Friday and Saturday nights for bachelorette parties and girls birthday parties. And we did, I did it for two months. And I, after the first month and a half, uh, I was like, okay, this is starting to not be as fun anymore. And I'm, and I'm getting a little drained from this, but man, the reference experience was, was incredible. Just to, just to say that I did it. And, uh, it was, it was so fun. And and now I'm teaching people at at a deep level, how to be able to understand themselves at that really high capacity. So, uh, you know, I was a stripper, I was a a pressure football player. I'm an emotional intelligence coach that works with 
So very, very powerful people. Uh, and uh, I, I love that. I love being able to explore all those different dimensions of myself. <laughs> you are the genie in the bottle, my friend. There it is. <laughs> hey, a couple of things I want to ask you. What's your greatest achievement in life? Oh, my greatest achievement in life. Joy. God, it's, it's joy. It's being able to feel incredible separate from achievements. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I would say joy, man. I would say I, I genuinely experience it. Who's the person who's had the biggest influence on your life? Mm. I would, I would definitely say my dad. Yeah. Uh, definitely say my dad. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And the, the way I love to finish some quick fire questions. You ready? Let's do it. Favorite food? Favorite food? Ah, uh, I would have definitely burgers. Burgers. Just a good, good old South Dakota beef burger. <laughs> Favorite song? Ooh. She Will Be Loved by Maroon 5. Great song. Favorite place in the world? Favorite place in the world. Wherever I am. <laughs> What's next for Ken Lage? <laughs> I wish I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the unknown. <laughs> it's the unknown, baby, right? Like, I, I'm just, I, I just live in this place where I like to follow my inspiration. And in this season of life, I've been loving coaching. It's been incredible. I got a full book of clients. And uh, I'll continue to do that and be in this space in Rio until it doesn't feel right to do anymore. And then we'll see what else I want to do. I'm, well, I'm just as intrigued to see as, uh, as you might be. So. Indeed, mate. Indeed. Well, I look, I look forward to following that up. Mate, thanks so much for telling me your story. I love to hear it. I love to hear people from all around the world and all the different pieces they do. And as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, brother. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcasts and I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels as well as BJ Macker uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.